Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Chicago Bulls. We have a very special guest today. Coach Mike Colucci is joining me, and Mike is a uh, is a not only a very knowledgeable, knowledgeable basketball savant and and head coach of many years, but he also is a is a Knicks fan. So I thought it'd be ap- appropriate to bring him in uh, as we were as we're about to embark on episode five and six, which I'm sure we'll have a lot of. Uh, Nick's history. How you doing, Mike? What's going on, Coach? Uh, I'm doing. Gr- I'm doing great, Fred. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I, I, I'd like to um, set the record straight, though. I'm a former Knicks fan. That's Fell correct. off the wagon and moved out here to Chicago. Uh, and my three sons are all uh, rabid Bulls fans. So by process of, of social distancing, where we we didn't social distance, I am now uh, a diamond Bulls fan. So I've actually come to the dark side. You're right. I did grow up a Knicks fan. Uh, my father, like all of us, I mean, think about, I, I don't know how you became a, a particular fan of, say, the Cubs or the Bears or the Bulls. But, you know, you, typically your father kind of guides you. My right. old man was a, a, a terrific basketball player, which I found out late in life about him. Uh, but he was a diehard Knicks fan. And, and all I remember about my old man was, as he watched in the 60s and mid-60s into the early 70s where the Celtics would beat up on the Knicks and Red Auerbach uh, in the last two or three minutes where, when he knew the, the wind was in the bag, he'd light up a big cigar. Yes. And my father used to just, you, you would look at him and he'd be gritting his teeth and you could see he wanted to take that cigar and literally just stuff it in his mouth. It's great. Um, but, you know, you and I both remember, we're going to talk a little bit about The Last Dance, which is just uh, terrific. But in the 90s, um, the bad boys, obviously, of the Pistons, we're going to talk about them. But the Knicks were also in that mix of, let's see how hard we can punch the bulls in the face uh, to see if we can physically intimidate them. Uh, which uh, Pat Riley, obviously, was the coach of the Lakers and went to the Knicks. Kind of interesting. I mean, he had that Lakers um, magic and run and gun and Worthy and Michael Cooper. And um, then he came to the Knicks and, and played walk-up basketball, half-court basketball, get in your face, punch you as hard as you can. You you remember the guys like Oakley, who was traded to the Knicks, uh, Anthony Mason, yes. uh, John Starks, who weren't, none of them were incredibly talented, but incredibly physical. Of course, the Knicks could never get past the Bulls. I mean, they just couldn't. Uh, when you have, uh, I was going to say arguably the greatest player of all time, but I, I suspect on this podcast, I'll have to take out the word arguably. <laughs> yes. You have no the question. When you have the Coach. greatest of all time. Uh, you know, it's tough. And, and Michael would always rise to the occasion. I view the, um, I, I, yeah. I, I, I view the Knicks differently than I do the Pistons. Like I had a white hot hatred for the Pistons. I did. I disliked the cool. Knicks a lot too, but the Knicks to me were always, you know, the Bulls really never lost to the Knicks. It was a different no. situation you know, outside of 93, 94 when Michael was gone and he did win that series, right? In seven games, but. Uh, even that was, you know, I think a lot of people look back with the call in Game Five by Hugh Hollins and say, "Well, Bulls really should have yeah. won that one." So, but anytime Michael was here, it was just a different situation, and it was not as yeah, intense. They get by. The hatred, and plus, you, you, I really respected Pat Riley. Pat Riley did exactly what I think all coaches do: they adapt the system to the talent. He had Showtime in L.A. Yeah. 
he had de- he saw what he had in New York, and although I disliked Mason a lot, I, I loved Oakley. I respected him tremendously. I was hurt when the Bulls traded him. Ewing was an excellent center. You know, they were a hard, hard-nosed team, but it was not at all to the level that I felt about the uh, the Pistons. Yeah, and, and you hit the nail on the head. Great coaches, not good coaches. Great coaches understand who their talent is, and then how do I adapt an offensive and defensive system that meets that talent? And and frankly, looking back at the Knicks, they weren't that gifted from an offense. They had Patrick, but even Patrick, I mean, he, he was a bull. Obviously, he was strong, but he didn't have much around him when you really look at it. But John Starks was like a G League player. They didn't have the G League then. I think they had the... Uh, the ABL or something like that yeah. in uh, the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, and, and guys like Starks, I mean, he took them off the reclamation pile. Uh, I always remember that one game, I think he shot two for 21 or something late in one of the games. The Houston six, Rockets seven game seven, somebody. yeah, I believe. Yeah, against the Rockets, that's right. And I thought, oh boy, this poor guy. And I mean, he really stunk up the joint. So, you know, from, from my perspective, uh, they just couldn't get past and. And as a result, it was hard watching because you knew when the game started, like, unless something outrageous happens, we're not going to win this series. We're just not going to win it. Um, and it didn't. You know, so that's a nice segue to that, the, the, the Pistons. Part, you know, they played the same kind of, you know, punch-in-the-mouth defense, but they were an unlikable bunch. Chuck Daly is a great coach, but the Lambiers, the Mahorns, Isaiah Thomas, who I, I just have a visceral dislike of, um, I, you know, he went to the Knicks because, look, he has that great smile. He's got this bubbly personality. I think deep down he's just a bad person. Uh, and at the Knicks, he just completely – James Dolan – look, you and I can manage the Knicks better than James Dolan can. Um, James Dolan hires him, and he winds up having an $11 million sexual harassment uh, suit that he loses, meaning Isaiah Thomas. He has to get out of town. So he also – didn't he take over the, the – um, was it the G League? Yeah, the G League exactly ran that into the ground within two years. He's a complex you know, guy, you know, I mean, because he is beloved in Chicago. You know, he's from here, and, and there were a lot of people. That's right. There were a lot of people who loved Isaiah. You know, he went to Indiana, obviously won a national title there, um, and was beloved, but, you know, never was again after the whole Pistons series. But I, he, I, I definitely respect him as a basketball player. The guy was a fantastic basketball player. Uh, he, is a, he is a great basketball player not yeah. a good one he's a great basketball player um and, and i mean that's his quote his redeeming feature is that he, he was and in that couple of year period where they won back to back i mean they were he was a great player I, just there's something about him that I, I never could cotton to now obviously if you're from detroit you love the guy because he brought a couple of rings to your city um and that goes into the last dance i mean we talked a little bit about it um instant messaging each other. I am, and we don't call it slack each other. Um, the first couple of episodes I liked didn't, wasn't over the moon about them. One of the things I find a little difficult with the first four episodes, Fred, mm-hmm. is how they jump cut the different years. Yes. Like you'll be, they're talking about 98 and then all of a sudden they're back in 92 and then they're back to 95. And there's a little bit of a, a rough edge. To, I, I, I'm having a little trouble following that. Not, not tremendous, but it just, the editing on, on the timeline is, is just a little off to me. Now, having said that, episodes three and four were incredible. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I, and I told you uh, uh, early on, 
is uh, when they're playing the Cavaliers and Lenny Wilkins, who, by the way, is a um, Hall of Fame coach and player. And by the way, I found out my old man played against Lenny Wilkins because he's from New York. He was from Brooklyn. My father was in Portland, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. But, you know, Lenny Wilkins wow. puts Greg Elo on it. And you see uh, Ron Harper, like, just... He's still roasted about it. Like, yeah. and, and in hindsight, why didn't he put Ron Harper on it? Do you have any thought about that? What, what would I, you think? I have no idea. In hindsight, though, even if Ron's on him, I still say Michael's scoring. I, I, I laughed at yeah. whole, that whole part. See, one thing it's interesting you say that because I've liked how they've gone back. To, it seems like each episode is kind of, you know, the first one had a little bit more of a focus on Michael, the second one on Scotty, third on Rodman. Right. And I do like how it's gone retro, kind of like a little retrospective. And I think that might be a little bit, but I've heard what you've said from a few younger fans, you know, I know that history like the back of my hand, right. you know, and and so I think that maybe that's why I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than either younger fans or people outside of Chicago. Um, but I I was there's been a few revelations, most notably uh, I thought about how Doug Collins, you know, didn't take to the triangle, and you know that might have been I, the reason why he was. Kind of, and a little bit maybe of Phil Jackson, some you know, some little scheming behind the scenes to kind of elevate Tex Winter, who was beloved by Krause. I just thought that whole part was fascinating. Um, uh, and, and actually, that's the part that you really didn't know. Now you'd heard that rumor that Collins didn't take to the um, the trial. It was great hearing Michael say, "I love Doug Collins." Well, why did he love him? Because Doug realized that the best player just. Get him the ball. Did he hear that one clip where they end? So what was the play at the end? It was give the ball to Michael and get the F out get of the way. way. Uh, <laughs> you know, and as a coach, we've all done that. When you have that great play, like just get him the ball. Everybody move. Um, I, I will address something. And you mentioned me about being a coach. You know, one of the things, Fred, is that when you're in a high tense, high pressure situation, late in the game, people are screaming. You can barely hear each other. You're worried about is a guy hurt? Do I have the right five guys on the floor? You get a minute to make a decision. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I got to get someone. Who's going to guard Michael? And he, maybe he saw Craig Elo. He said, Craig, you guard Michael. All right, I got Michael. Um, so what people, what the average fan doesn't realize is how many decisions that a good coach is processing all the time. And a good coach isn't just thinking about kind of what's in front of them, but what's five minutes out and what's 10 yes. minutes out. Yes. Um, so – and it's a really, and it's true in every sport that the average fan doesn't realize how much they're they're just cranking through multiple decisions and multiple scenarios and saying if I do X or he does X, do I do Y? Right. That's the sign. Right. That's another part of a good coach is be able to look out and say, how does that fit? What are they doing? It's I, one of the things about. Go ahead. I I, I do want to. Uh, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I do want to though counter one thing about. The coaching specifically in the in the episode, which I didn't like, which is that they kind of made it sound like, well, Collins built the whole offense around Michael, and it was a great thing that Phil came in and, and really made it more of a team thing. And I would absolutely counter nobody on that team when Doug Collins was coaching was anywhere near Michael in, in, in ability at that point, and that was right. the exact yeah, right decision. Like. You know, the idea that Scottie Pippen was great as a rookie is, is, is insanity. And, you know, even in his second year, uh, and it, which was, ended up being, I think, Collins' last, that's still the right decision is build everything around Michael. 
Now, maybe in year, you know, when, when Phil took over, maybe by then, you know, uh, Scotty progressed enough that you could start looking at more a team uh, at, you know, type of uh, offense and incorporated other players. But I, I just, there's a couple things that have been portrayed. And, and, and the last thing I'll say is on this is it did not accurately portray how terrible the uh, the migraine game was because that was game seven of an Eastern Conference Finals. The Bulls could have gone to their final. Jordan's sixth year, and he played great, and everybody else on the team was awful. And it was still right. out there at that point. It's the Jordan heirs. These guys can't show up. They're not good enough for Michael. And I, I don't think that was really conveyed how devastating that was for the fan base and for the city. Yeah, now, you got to remember, 96, I was just here. Was it? No, it, was not, uh, it wasn't 96. What year was 90, it? 90. That was 90. It was June 3rd, 1990. It was the first, it was yeah, the year I before. I just moved the... here, so I wasn't kind of hooked yeah. into that. I, I do remember distinctly when... Scotty went down. And I got a migraine. I thought, you know what? He's just making excuses for a bad game. I, I felt that way I, too. I, I took a lot of heat yeah, about I, that. And, and like, and not only I, that, I, a I lot thought of people he stood up and said, "I stunk." Uh, and it, hey, look, this is easy for me to say. Thirty years later, you know, he was a kid. He's twenty-two years old. To stand up and 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 be an adult and be mature and say, "I stunk. I let the team down." Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and bust my butt over the summer to get better. Is where to come back. People, I think, would would gravitate towards that. Nobody, look, he knew, everybody knew he had a terrible game set. Everybody knew. Now you got to remember too, who was guarding Scotty Pippen? It was uh, in that Dennis game. Rodman. Oh, yeah. Dennis Rodman. Yeah. I, Dennis, I, I, I'm I'm pretty comfortable making the statement that Dennis Rodman was matched up. That guy is a beast as a defensive player. A no doubt. Beast. Maybe the best guy I've seen in 30 years play defense although Michael Jordan and Scotty Pittman were pretty good too but Rodman was just an animal in terms of how he positioned his body how he used strength to put guys in places they didn't want to go how to deny the ball I mean this this guy was he's a strange guy no doubt about that but he was a great defensive player uh, year after year and, and you got to remember sometimes Guys play better than you do. So that was my take. Now, listening to uh, The Last Dance and, and episodes three and four, when, when they, they they had Michael Jordan to pretty much open up, and that's not his style. He plays stuff close to the best. I was really surprised. Now, I don't know how much money Michael has in his production company. He might be making some bucks out of this. I think he is. Mm-hmm. But it was terrific. Now, let me tell you one other thing. Do you remember? Let's move to the, the bad boys. Okay. Um, they got – beat up really badly. Michael says, I got to get stronger. And he puts on a bunch of weight. And one of my sons, I won't tell you, walks by and he looks, he said, he did PDs. That's how he got stronger. In, oh, in come summer. on. <laughs> so bad. at his point, listen to this. And he said, you know, Michael said, I, I worked out every single day. Well, that's what performance enhancing drugs do. They enable you to lessen the amount of time you need to rest between workouts. And I mean, I was like, that's kind of interesting. Now it's never, ever even touched him. Uh, you know, this is the first time I ever heard it, but I was like, that's kind of an interesting approach. And I, now my son's not a Michael Jordan fan. Knowledge is, and he is great, but just as a person, he's just not a likable guy. Um, not quite on the Isaiah Thomas, uh, but just See, now, I, having said that, the one, like, oh, what was man. the game? The thing that really impressed me about Michael Jordan, which I, and I remember this vaguely, because I was a New York fan, remember? Remember um, in episodes one or two where he broke his foot in his second year? Yes. And he wants to come back, and they're like, no, you can't. And he goes like, 
heck you. I, I'm going to come back. I'm going to not even come back. We're going to get in the playoffs. And of course, you know, they're thinking, oh, great. We'll play the Celtics. We'll get wiped out five. But that wasn't the point. And this is one of the things, Fred, you and I have talked about uh, offline about this. I, I think a franchise, any sport that throws games to get a, a better draft pick is a losing franchise. I, 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 I just so viscerally disagree with that. You come out to play the game. You come out to win the game, as Herman was once said. And to, to kind of like throw it. And that's what they were looking to do, right? They wanted to stay It was an early playoffs. form of tanking, basically. Yeah, he wanted yeah, to get a higher draft Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And, and, and that, that was the one moment I looked and said, man, I, I understand his greatness. The, 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 big guy, difference, the big difference between that and what the Bulls have been doing the last three years is that the Bulls had a legitimate shot in 1986 to make the playoffs. You don't tank yeah, when exactly. you're going to make the playoffs. Like, like that's so no, insane. I, I it's insanity. Like, the, if the Bulls were one yeah, game out of a playoff that, spot, it, it, you try to get it, in the playoffs. It, it it's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm in total agreement. And also, it, it's an ethos that you're teaching your younger yes. players. Like, yes. We do everything we can to win. Because you know what? It is hard to win at a professional level. I don't care what sport. Yeah. I mean, you know and I, I know very few guys. Hell, it took Michael Jordan five years to break through. I do have and to he's say, the though. the greatest of all time. I have to counter. So the Tim, Gro- or Tim Grover just came out with a book. I think it's called Relentless. Or maybe it's not even new. But I, I, I recently started reading it in the, in the past year. And I was unaware that he only became friends with Michael or, or started, brought Michael in as a client. I, I believe it was that year after. It was either the year before they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and lost or the year after. And he reached out to the Bulls and said, I'd like to meet Michael Jordan and make a presentation to him on why I think I should he should work with me. And Michael met him. He gave a whole outline of what he was going to do with him, how he was going to put on you know X amount of muscle. And then Michael said, I don't believe you. I don't think it's going to work. And he's like, if you follow everything I do for 30 days, let's see where you're at. And then it worked. And that's how he started He started to work with him for the rest of his life. And then he worked with Kobe. I don't believe it was uh, PEDs. But, I mean, I know it's a lot of Michael haters will throw out there. But he didn't get that big. It wasn't like he was uh, insanely. It wasn't well, like he was Jose Canseco. Like, I think he, the way. You know, late his, he went from 185, 190-ish up to 240 when he was playing with the Wizards. Oh, he was and not that's just a natural progression of <laughs> He was 20 about 220 at his, I think, his big. Well, maybe maybe by the end, but he wasn't in as good a shape. But, I mean, see, no, I, 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 I disagree with you about Michael being like, I think Michael's, uh, is, is, to be in that position, to be one of the top five most famous people on the planet, and everywhere you're going, you got people trying to demand your time. I think he's handled it about as good as anyone could expect. And especially, you know, people I know who follow him or covered him early on in his career, he was a really good kid. And, and he was a yeah, he, he, was. he had he a lot on there. And look, yeah. when you're told you're the greatest for 15 years, it tends to, to make you think a certain no way. Doubt. I'll tell you a no completely doubt. different story. It has nothing to do with basketball, but it has to do with golf. I have a brother who actually sold jets to Tiger Woods and became friendly with him. And at one point, Tiger Woods, who you just talked about, one of the five most famous people on the planet, he's in that list, right? Close. At one point, Tiger Woods says to, uh, to my brother, look, every single person I meet, every single person, the first thought I have is, what do they want from me? And yeah. Michael's got that same problem, right? What do they want? It could be as simple as I need a couple of tickets. 
to, hey, do you want to invest in my laundromat? You have half a million dollars. I mean, think about how that plays on your psyche for your entire life where, where you have to be hands off to every single person who comes up to you. I agree. I just found it interesting. And, you know, Mike, and, 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 and I will agree with this. He has kept out of the spotlight. Had kind of an ugly divorce. I know we're going into personal stuff. But for the most part, he's done kind of what he's done and done it at a high level. You know, I, to get away from that and just talk about the bad boys, I mean, they had the thing that just, and it made me grit my teeth again, is that whole thing when they lost to them, they, you know, Isaiah and Bill Lambeer just walking off the court. And they kind of went, the, well, you know, the, the Celtics did it to us. I just wanted to reach through and just say, man, shake the guy's hand, wish him luck. You don't have to be his pal. All you have to do is, hey, you did a great series. I'll, we'll see you next year. And then you go and take your shower and go home. I, it was just, a, I think, a microcosm of why it was easy to dislike the, uh, the, the Detroit Pistons. Well, two things were great about that doc that I've never seen before. Is Number one, they handed Michael like, like a, a tablet. And showed him seeing, you know, yeah. Isaiah's comments. I I think that's been fantastic. I've never seen this on a doc it before. Was, it was. And, and so, and number two, they they flashed right to Michael congratulating the Pistons, you know, who did nothing but cheap shot him for the most part through all those, Ugh. you know, all those games for, you know, congratulating them after they beat them. But to me, in retrospect, I think it's great. I think it is because it just oh, it's it so it's it solidified what a bunch of losers the Pistons were, and I know they were trying to blame it on well that's what Boston did back then, and and then I right. heard a really good point I can't remember if it was on a podcast or but basically it, for, that game took place in Detroit, so when it was in Detroit at that time the fans would run out in the court so the players would go off early. If that game had been in Boston, right. they would have absolutely shit you know shook their hands. Regardless, it was, was, probably wasn't right on either team's part to do that. But that said, I mean, for, the, for them to do that to the Bulls was just inexcusable. Yeah, and you know and I know there is no love lost 30 years later between Michael Jordan and Isaiah. Do you remember the story, and I seem to vaguely recall this, Fred, in the 84 All-Star game, didn't uh, Isaiah work to kind of freeze out Michael Jordan? I'm yeah, that was the rumor out Michael and uh, I'm saying, uh, Magic and... It wasn't Magic. just it wasn't just Isaiah, but regardless, no, there's a bunch of players. Yeah, Magic, you know, because they thought he was, you know, being a little bit too, I guess, showboaty or whatever back right. then. But you know, regardless, Magic clearly came to terms with how great Michael was and was nothing but complimentary of him, especially when he won his first title. You know, Isaiah never grew out of it, and for him recently to say there were three players above him that he played against. I think they said <laughs> yeah. Kareem yeah. Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. It's so laughable and ridiculous. Like, everybody's asking me, does that incense you? And I'm like, no, of course not. The three guys he mentioned, two out of those three in Magic and Larry would absolutely say Michael's the greatest ever. I don't know what Kareem would say, but he would probably say it too. It's so laughable and ridiculous. That's exactly what you expect Isaiah to say. Means nothing. Well, also, also remember, Fred. Uh, there was, I'm sure, there was the '84 freeze out, so we had some bad blood. They had a couple of uh, ugly series with the the Pistons, and then in '92, Michael got his comeuppance, or, or gave um, Isaiah's comeuppance by freezing them all, or, or making sure they make the dream team. Yep, agree. Uh, which is a rumor. So, like I said, there was there's still bad blood. It was great when he said, "Hey, could I give you uh, the, the iPad?" And you look, he goes, "There's nothing you're going to tell me." 
that makes me change my I mind. Loved and when it. he gave it to him, he's lucky. He's rolling his eyes. It was a great bit of television. Yes. Yes. I agree 100%. So, That's what so, I love about this doc. I thought there's been several moments like that. There was the moment when Rodman was talking about going to Vegas, and then he's watching Michael's reaction oh, laughing. I thought it was great. Oh, my God. Oh, man. I mean, Mike, I, this has been so entertaining. I did that Jordan flew out to Vegas again. You know what was great about it? Where where they shoot it to Michael, and he says, uh, I told Phil there's no way he's coming home. It's not going to come home. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. you imagine, like, the middle of the year, how crazy that sounds now? Like, I, I need some time off. And that's both the beauty and, and a little bit about Phil Jackson where he's like, okay, take a couple days. Go leave. Um, we need your head straight today or when you come back. But Michael went out to get him and I guess opens the door and there's him and Carmen Electra in bed. I, that's a great story. It's unbelievable. It's so many of uh, so many of them in this series I, I haven't heard, which I just loved. And uh, that's you know definitely one of them. You know, well, is there anything, anything that you've seen so far that – you felt like has bothered you or you felt should have been covered a little bit more? Well, the one thing I'll tell you is, and, and I don't know why, maybe they're going to get him in the next couple episodes. Tony Kukoc has come kind of, you know, I mean, he's, he shows up once in a while. Um, you know, you see him in the background make a pass, but they haven't really talked about him. And remember, there was a lot of drama around when they uh, selected him. Yes. Uh, Jerry Krause thought, oh, I've just found out that, you know, the next, uh, who, uh, whatever you want to name him. And Jerry Krause talked about how great he was. And I, if I recall, Scotty and Michael kind of froze out Tony Kukoc uh, because he was Jerry's guy. And yep. you know how they hated Jerry. I mean, I, the one thing that uh, – that's one thing I'm like, well, they haven't really talked about that. The other thing, how unprofessional Scotty Pippen was, like screaming at, at Jerry Krause, his five foot six fat schlub, uh, in the front of the, the, um, the bus while he's in the back with all his guys – and I, my son and I were watching, and I said, you know, if I was Jerry Krause, I would have gotten up, walked back there and said, you say it again, I'm going to punch the hell, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. Now, you and I both know Scotty Pippen would dump him upside down, but get in his face and say, I don't care if you don't like me, this is unacceptable behavior. Now, you know, Scotty had that chip on his shoulder, you're trying to trade me, you're not paying me, because they talk a lot about the Pippen uh, contract. I think I told you this, you know, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I... The one shot, I'm not a Jerry Reinsdorf fan. There's something about him when he's when he starts talking about, well, we gave him the contract and told him he shouldn't sign it. And why give him the contract? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean to me, it's a, a fair deal is one where both of you walk away from the table and say, I, I got what I needed. And in that case, the owner is really telling him, don't sign this contract. Then why offer it? Now, I remember you had a bad back. You reminded me of that. I forgot all about that. So he was probably worried, holy shit, if I – if I hurt my back, I can't play. I want some money. Now, it, it worked out where over the course of his career, I think he made $100 million plus. He probably lost every penny because he's an idiot. Um, but I, I, just the whole – so there was a couple things. The Tony Kukoc and the one where Ryan Starr said, uh, you shouldn't even sign this. I was thinking, where is his agent? How does his agent say, we can get more money. This is not This is not a good deal for you. But – but players yeah. sign contracts for their own reasons, so who knows why he did it. In, in defense of Pippen, so there's a few things that really struck me. Number one, how many teammates just talk with effusive love for him? Like love her, him. Tony Kukoc. More, more, more than yeah, Michael, I think. Tony Kukoc, no doubt. Michael himself. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't heard one play, like one guy ever talk about 
Scotty as a as a poor teammate. So I will hand yeah, it to I him agree. with that. Uh, that's definitely in his favor. But I, I do also think, you know, on Reinsdorf, in his defense, when Pippen signed that contract, they had just won a title, but they were just one year away from the from the migraine game. He didn't make the All Star team in ninety ninety one, believe it or not. So he wasn't right. he, he wasn't even an All Star, you know. And uh, he did have a great game five against the Lakers, thirty two points, played really nice defense against Magic. Although Magic was still fantastic in that Finals win, you know, I think he was taking long term security. And and I think if as an owner, you're probably saying, yeah. here's the trade off, right? I'll give you a contract, you'll be set for the rest of your life, but you may be underpaid at the end of the deal. My problem with the whole thing was Michael was criminally underpaid up until 1996. When he won 72 games that year, he made like $3 million and change. He did get 30 and 36 no, think, in, yeah, a, in the last of, two years. Part of that, he was making so much money from Nike that it yeah, probably annoyed him. I don't uh, buy that period, argument, I, though. I'm okay with it. I, right. I, I don't buy that. Everybody's throwing that out there. Well, Michael made so much money off the court. The reason he made so much money off the court was directly – a result of his performance on the court. It's like he's not making that money if he's not the best basketball player on the planet. So, and in Scott, and act like Scott, he didn't have any endorsements. He had plenty of endorsements. He had an endorsement with Maritech. He had a, a fantastic Nike deal, a great Nike commercial. I don't know if one of the best Nike commercials of all, all time where he went back in time. I don't know if you remember that one. It's like he made no, money off the that. court. It's it, of course not as good as Michael because he wasn't as good as Michael. So I, no, I yeah, yeah, that's no, the clearly, thing I don't buy. Right. You, you know, know, the other thing about it too is you know at the end of the uh, end of Michael's stay in Chicago, Ryan Stark did. Remember, he had those two years back to back where he paid him like thirty five million. Yes, um, he should have. I, I gotta I gotta make good on this. Yeah, he yeah, should have. You know, yeah. and, and I hope we hear more about this. Just kind of how it ended is really kind of disappointing. Now, having said that. Every single sport, great players. I'm going to give you the name of someone non-basketball. Willie Mays was traded to the Mets in 1972 when he was 42. Oh, my God. I never he knew was, that. He was terrible. I mean, he was embarrassing to watch hit, but, you know, he was Willie Mays. And I remember thinking, man, this guy should have retired. And Tim McCarver was an announcer. Again, I'm jumping from basketball to baseball. But McCarver said, you know what? You should play as long as you can. Make them rip the jersey off your back. I was always like, well, that's really kind of interesting. I never really thought of it that way. But, you know, they were always looking to trade Michael. Jerry Krause had that, oh, we got to break down the team to, to rebuild it. When they had the greatest player on the planet. They were never looking to trade to play with. They, they they were never looking to trade Michael. The, 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 that would have no. never happened. But they were looking to trade Scotty. That's absolutely true. In 94, they had a, tra- a, a trade already the summer of 94. They had a trade with Sean Kemp that w- went down that the, that the uh, Seattle yeah. Supersonics Knicks, and there were other trades on the table. Um, trading Michael would have been, you know, a death would have been a death sentence for that franchise, you know, for the Bulls. But yeah, um, I do in my head go back and wonder. I don't know if you feel this way. Like, let's throw out Sean Kemp. You know, if, they, if the Bulls would have traded for Sean Kemp. Um, and traded Scottie Pippen in that summer of 94. If Michael does come back, I still feel like that team is good enough to win titles. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, they were. And I, But let me tell you something about Scott uh, Pippen was a great number two guy, and here's why. He was willing to sacrifice some of his touches on the offensive end to let – because he knew Michael Jordan was great. 
The problem with trading for guys like Kemp, I, he needs to shoot the ball 20 or 25 times. Yeah. Um, I, I, and when you start getting two alphas like that, and Kemp is a good player in the early 90s, you start it, it just disrupts kind of the flow of the team. Pippen, and one of the reasons I loved, I, I like Pippen more than, than Michael Jordan, was that he understood that. And so he was perfectly okay with scoring 16, 17 points a game, 15 shots a game. Um, he is, and I, I, he's another one. And I just kind of this this last dance is refreshed how great a defensive player he was. He was. His arms hung down to his knees. And, I mean, his leg, he was just long. He was quick. He was intense. If you watch, he's always got his numbers squared up to the to his uh, offensive player. Mike, I mean, yeah. he was just a great defensive player. Coach, I, got, I agree with you 100%. He's, he's, I think he may have been – at his peak, better than Michael on the defensive end, but there was such a gap. There was such a gap on the other side of the ball. Like to me, it's not even remotely close. I think there's been this effort to kind of like decrease the delta between Michael and Scotty, and I, I don't even think he's in the same stratosphere. Like as far as uh, I know, he's not. There's a reason why Phil Jackson. Asked Tony Kukoc to shoot that shot against the Knicks in 1994 with 1.8 seconds left. He he's, he was clutch. He was a better clutch shooter than Scotty. Scotty did better, not have that shooter. gene, and I, I know a lot of people are, are are rolling their eyes here, but he did not have that gene. He did not perform his best on the offensive end in in the closing minutes when the pressure is really amped up. And uh, you know that's not to say he didn't have moments where he performed well, but. He just didn't have it. Michael is the greatest at all time in that regard, and that's where the, that's where the differentiation is. There's been great players. You know this is true. Carl Malone was the same way. He never performed great down mm-hmm. the stretch, but they're still Hall of Fame players. It doesn't diminish their greatness. Right. But right. they're not. Yeah, he's, he's not, he's not Michael. That, that, it's not, game, it's not that game probably won't pop up, will it? But I, I remember watching it, and when they came out of the timeout, I was like, what the fuck? Scotty Pippen isn't on the floor. He threw a, a hissy fit, and, yeah. and I was I was completely on board with Jackson designing the play for Tony Kukoc. He's a better three point shooter than than Scottie Pippen is. Period. End of sentence. Well, I mean, so yeah. you know what I know. Get the ball into the guys who can score. That's why Michael at the end, of, the, the triangle was great. But sometimes when it broke down with eight seconds, you got the ball to Michael, get out of the way, and let him create. Well, and the thing, yeah, not he create. The thing about it was in 93-94, Kukoc had won like three games that season with last-second shots. He beat Milwaukee early in the year. Right. He beat Indiana on a last-second shot like that. So it wasn't like he was doing this just to spite Scotty. It was because one guy had shown the ability to do that, and Scotty didn't in all, in all those years, you know? So um, yeah. it's an interesting debate, you know? Like, uh, Yeah, it is, and, and, and to go full circle with you, Fred, is this last dance, they've done a great job of kind of getting under the hood of those teams. You know, one of the shames, too, is that they couldn't interview Jerry, or they can't interview Jerry Krause. They let the guy defend himself. I mean, he, he was a schlub, right? Short, overweight, they made fun of What do they call him? Crumbs? Yes. Wasn't that his nickname? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they made fun of him, but man, that guy put together a team, and did it a couple of times. Now it's easier when you have the greatest player of all time, but remember the first five years they struggled. And then he goes out and gets Horace Grant, Scotty Pippen. And he, I mean, Crash used to love that, like digging up guys in, in, you know, NAIA level or small schools. I mean, he was, he liked that kind of thing, but 
he did a great job. He, he got Phil Jackson. And I'm not a huge Phil Jackson fan. I mean, I, I, and again, I acknowledge his greatness. Where he's great is that he can motivate players, not the first year, because everybody's hungry to win the first one. It's a lot tougher to win the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. That's where you show Michael good. I mean, he never took his foot off the gas pedal. Well, I, uh, and yeah. I got to say, though, do that. I agree. Like a lot of people have said about Cross, and I do feel bad he can't defend himself, but you can't defend yourself. I think it'd be worse for him if he was alive. Like, how, he what, what, what would you he say? Would come out well. I mean, he there's, no, there's no way yeah, this is going to be good. Yeah, you, you chased out the greatest player of all time. He made it clear he's not playing for the Bulls without Phil Jackson as coach, and you made the clear decision to tell the world this Phil Jackson was not coaching the Bulls after the 97-98 season. That oh, fact oh. Is, is you cannot erase it. It's inexcusable. And he wanted to yeah. prove he could win without Jordan. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's just so it, – it infuriates me in retrospect. You only have one life, man. You only have one opportunity to see the really great ones perform. And, and yeah. I, like, I don't feel like Muhammad Ali is any worse because he lost to Michael Spinks or uh, Leon Spinks. I can't remember which one of the brothers he lost to. I don't Leon. think the the Patriots are. Brother. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Brady's worse because they lost this year to the Titans. Like, come on, right? Give him a chance to go out on their shield. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and that that goes back to the Willie Mays story. Let this guy run it as long as he wants, so you tear the the jersey off his back. Yeah, um, and I think that the, the real fundamental issue is Jerry Krause. Always, his ego got in the way. Always felt he didn't get enough credit. What he should have done: scouted, signed guys, stayed in his office. Yes. Let Phil Jackson get all the hosanna. He would have made a lot of money, but he let his ego get in the way. And 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 you know what though, Fred? That's not an uncommon issue at that level. Um, you know, he had that small man syndrome, and and you know nobody really recognizes all the work Jerry Reinsdorf did. He stuck by that guy. Um, so that's all I would have cared about. My owner thinks I'm doing a good job. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Um, but he, he wanted, you know what? He wanted to tear that team down, rebuild it, and have everyone acknowledge him. This guy's the greatest general manager in the history of basketball. Uh, a terrible yeah. mistake. It's a shame. You know, Michael was still healthy. I think, though, at the end of the run, um, Scotty's back started acting up again. Like, he was at Houston for a couple of years out at Portland. You know, he, he, he was on the downside of his career. No doubt. I think. No yeah, doubt, he I never made he an all. I don't think he made an All Star team after his after he left the Bulls. And yeah, no, I agree. But, but even money, so, even so, though, you know, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think anyone can say the Bulls would not have won a title in ninety eight, ninety nine. To me, it's possible they left one on the table. There, it was yeah, a strike shortened season. They could have. They could have. You know, it could have been a little bit easier. They didn't have as many games. I think it's entirely possible the Bulls could have been in the finals again. I'm not, and to and just have that doubt, yeah, that doubt it was possible. Yeah, it's just such a heartbreaker, Mike, Coach yeah. Mike. It's awesome to have you on again, man. It was great uh, yep. to have you on the Bullseye here, and looking forward to having you on the next roundtable as we discuss episodes five and six. Well, the only thing we didn't even talk about, Fred, next time is is what does the NBA do to, to restart the season? I'm going to leave you with this little tidbit. I think they should have an NCAA-style uh, one-and-done, one-place 32, two-place 31, reseed, and do it all in Vegas over a couple of weeks. So leave it with that. Let's wait until the next podcast 
to fill out the, the, the bracket sheets. Oh, man, that's an interesting idea. I'd love it because the Bulls would actually have a shot then, uh, yeah. as to right now. But uh, And who knows, with, with all the, the, the positive vibes. Well, when we wrap it up, just let me get, as you're a season ticket holder, love to get your yes. opinion on all the changes made at the general manager position, vice president of operations. How are you feeling now? Are you going to renew your are you going to renew your tickets now? Oh, we're, we're renewing. We're going back. It's a, a, here's the thing. I, I think there was time for a change. They were getting stale in the front office. Our foreman certainly had to go. He's created, a, a, I think, an atmosphere that, that other players around the league don't want to come here, whether right or wrong. Um, so I, I, and I think Paxson recognized that. Look, he's had, what, a, 12, a 15, 18-year run? That's a long time to, to, to run a business. He's going to make a little money. He's going to you know, be a consultant. I've only heard good things about Eversley, and I'm not going to attempt to – Arturis, what is his last name? It's some Lithuanian name. Yeah. I've heard really good Carnicinous. things about both of those guys. So, look, I, and I, I heard a, a – what it was a podcast or an interview. Is Eversley? That's his name, right? The Mark GM. Eversley, yep. Yeah, he said all the right things. We're going to bring a championship here. We're going to well, okay. That's those are the things to say. Now you need to go out and do it. They've got young players. They've got some picks. I think they have some cap room. Let's see what they do. I'm excited. Not I, this I think year, they, but next. Yeah, they don't have any cap room this yeah, year, and, but next year, absolutely. Unless a miracle. And the other thing that they're doing, the, the the Bulls have been known around the league of having a really sparse front office. Like this, Eversley made the comment. I found out there was only one kind of development coach one other teams have multiples so i think they're really putting the, the the pressure on to to build out that front office especially their scouting people so i'm excited i i think it was a really good thing for uh, the rhinestorfs to do jerry let michael run it and he did a really good job so let's see i agree oh coach it's great talking to you have a fantastic Take weekend care. enjoy the the last dance and uh looking forward to having you on again brother yeah, where do uh, where do I send the invoice for this? Sounds good, my man. Take it easy. Take care.